So we read from the first chapter of Luke, and we're going to focus in on the last two verses of that reading in verses 78 and 79. And I'm just going to reread those two verses, which say, Because of the tender mercy of God, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so, Father God, as we approach your word today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would penetrate our hearts and minds, that we would understand it and how it applies and transforms our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the context of those two verses, as we read, is that it's Zechariah's prophecy over his son, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And when you read that prophecy, uh, you'll notice that it's very, very similar to the way that the, the Psalms read in the Old Testament. And what we have here, really, is Zechariah's um, outburst of praise to God. And it's an outburst of praise that comes at the tail end of centuries of hopes and dreams and expectations. God's promises spoken through the prophets. Uh, hints of it coming through in, 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 in Genesis uh, where God promises that one day uh, a seed of, uh, of Adam and Eve will one day crush the serpent's head, and then through Moses, and then through David, and through the prophets, and 1,500 years of growing expectation of this one who is going to come as the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one. And so Zechariah is bursting out in praise because he's saying, the time is now. It's finally come. The wait is over. Israel, Christmas is here. Everything that you've been waiting for is now just about to arrive. And that was the promise given to Abraham, to David, that God sealed with his covenant oath. That unbreakable bond that God made to his people. And there's many different uh, ways that you could... You could explore what that promise meant. But one of, the, one of the great things that was meant by that promise, by that covenant oath that God made, was that he was going to bring peace. I love how <laughs> uh, God orchestrates um, all the elements of the service together, and, and there was the mention of shalom in, um, in the prayer time. And one of the things that God promised to Israel was that he was going to bring peace. He was going to bring Shalom. Now, shalom in the biblical sense is a much bigger and richer idea than our kind of general everyday meaning of peace, which I think most of the time when people say peace, they conceive of it as the absence of, uh, of um, conflict. It's pretty much equilibrium. But the biblical concept of peace is far richer and, I mean, there's, there's any number of different places we could turn to to see a bit of what that means. But I think a really um, 
uh, a place where we see it come through very strongly is um, Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 11. And I'll just, I'll just read a couple verses to you here. Uh, and they're very well known. It says, uh, 11, 6, Isaiah 11, 6, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Shalom, that we translate peace, is not used in that passage, but it's communicating this idea of not just absence of conflict, but of completeness, soundness, welfare, uh, prosperity, peace, entirety, uh, health, and, and soundness. And uh, I tried to kind of summarize, one of the ways I like to summarize what the concept of shalom means is um, you could put it, the perfect flourishing of all things in right relationship to one another. Right relationship between God and man. Spiritual peace. Right relationship of man, humanity within itself. Personal peace. Right relationship of humanity between each other. Social peace. Right relationship between humanity and the earth that God's put us in. Environmental peace, you could call it. Um, and so this was the expectation in the people of Israel of what was going to come through the Messiah. That this perfect flourishing was going to be ushered in. And we, we, we read some of those things in Zechariah's prophecy. That Israel's enemies would be defeated. That the kingdom would be restored like it was in the days of Solomon. Uh, that that perfect society would, would be ushered in and it would return God's people to the harmony of Eden. Now when you think of this, this passage in Luke, the irony is that Luke is writing, as you know, Luke is writing to real people, real situations, and he's writing to them with particular purposes in mind. And the irony here is that he puts this prophecy uh, in this book to people who know very well that some of those expectations that Israel had did not come to pass as Jesus came. Now, they had the peace of Jesus in their hearts, but Israel's Roman enemies had not yet been defeated. The kingdom had not been restored to Israel. In fact, Jerusalem was going to be utterly destroyed. Persecution was coming to Christians. And Jesus had even prophesied of uh, greater unrest in the natural world, of earthquakes and famines and wars. And so the people that Luke is writing to, they're living right in the middle of this dramatic tension. Even though they had peace with God and peace, the, the peace of Jesus in their hearts, that national peace and that renewed Eden hadn't come even though the Messiah had come. And so, in a way, it's just like us today where we, um, we look at the promises of the Bible and we know that in faith, 
many have been fulfilled and many will be fulfilled. And they will all be fulfilled because God, God can't lie. <laughs> and we know that by faith. But when we look around us, like I said in the song, most of what we see is shadows. Brokenness all around us. And it feels like uh, recently there's been this litany of, of, of uh, just horrendous events close to home. And, and obviously um, those things are happening every day. But it, it just seems so, um, so raw right now, the state that our society's in. Um, and so we live in this world where sometimes it seems like every trace of God's promises is, is nowhere to be found. We're alienated from the way things should be. That shalom. We're lacking peace spiritually, personally, socially, environmentally, personally, or, or, or spiritually, denying God. Our culture has no source of ultimate meaning or values or standards of judgment. Um, personally, when we cut ourselves off from our ultimate source of identity, uh, we, have, we don't know who we are anymore. Um, which means socially things start to break down and we start to treat other human beings as less than the inherent value that they have in God. And environmentally, we're at odds with nature. We're either trying to ruthlessly kind of dominate it to our advantage or we're trying to protect ourselves against it. So my question is, what does Luke's declaration of the Christmas message here actually mean? And when we look at it, we're going to see it's not just kind of the cheery white Christmas optimism uh, that ignores the brokenness around us, but neither is it the pessimistic doom and gloom. Instead, the scripture talks about a coming sunrise. And I want us to look into those two verses, and we're going to see uh, three things. Um, the character of the sunriser, the nature of the sunrise, and the effects of the sunrise. So what do we see first here? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Now the phrase there, tender mercy, um, is actually in, in the original Greek is a lot more uh, raw than it tends to come out in English. The expression was actually bowels of mercy, which is a bit weird. Uh, bowels of mercy. And the reason is that the Hebrews, you know, even though they were speaking Greek, they used Hebrew phrases, idioms, and they would talk about a person's bowels as we talk about a person's heart. I believe it with all my heart. They would say, I believe it with all my bowels. Um, and what they were talking about was the, the, the seat, the epicenter of a person's being. This is the very center, the seat of their personality. And so what this is saying is, mercy is part of God's very being. Mercy is at the core of God's character. And uh, Spurgeon put it this way. He said, it means the mercy of God's very soul. The heart is the seat and center of life, and mercy is to God as his own life. God is love. Not only is he loving, but he is love itself. Mercy is of the divine essence. There is no God apart from his heart, and mercy lies in the heart of God. 
he has bound up his mercy with his existence. And so this is the starting point for everything that Luke says here. This is the reason that God brings the salvation that Zechariah is proclaiming. The sunrise, and it's because of his mercy. It's not because human beings have earned it. It's not because we forced God's hand like uh, the pagan gods where he had to offer just the right sacrifices to get his favor. It's not because God just felt a little bit bad for us and so he, you know, gave us a little handout. Um, He's gone out of his way, not because he had to, but because it's who he is. God feels his compassion for us in his gut in the very core of who he is. So it's not just kind of, uh, when you think of human charity, human mercy, you might think of uh, a rich man kind of giving uh, 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 a homeless person something to eat or somewhere to stay, and, and it's kind of, it's just a handout. It doesn't mean that much to that rich person, but this isn't what God's doing. It's not just empty paternalism. This is something that comes from his, the deepest part of him. This is something absolutely costly, that wrenches his heart. And so if you want to know the character of God, what this is saying is, if you want to know the character of God, think of mercy. If you want to know the spirit of the Christmas, think of mercy. Because that is the foundation, the starting point for all of God's dealings with us. And he's bringing about a shalom, a peace, that's going to allow us, as we read, to serve him in righteousness and holiness without fear, because he loves us. So that takes us um, to the second part here. And I want to get a bit deeper into what does the sunrise mean? It says he's, what he's done because of his mercy is that he... Uh, the sunrise is going to visit us from on high. And as I was reading this, I was, I was reading Luke, asking God to, to give me something to, to, um, to speak on here. And um, this verse absolutely jumped out at me. Uh, you, you probably have experienced that before where you read something in the Bible that it just seems like it wasn't even there before. You never saw it. And this is one of those things that jumped out to me. And it absolutely fascinated me. What does it mean? that the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Why does Luke use those words? So as you think about a sunrise, um, a sunrise means a number of things. A sunrise, first of all, means the beginning of the end of the night. It's the beginning of the end of the night. And the night simply cannot resist the sunrise. The night flees from the sunrise. It's absolutely powerless against it because the darkness doesn't actually have a positive being in itself. It's just emptiness. It's, it's lack of light. And so when the light begins to shine, the darkness must flee. And so it's the beginning of the end of all the things that can only be done in the cover of darkness. That's what the sunrise begins to bring. It also begins to bring the, the beginning of a new day. It's the beginning of new opportunities, new tasks, and it's a symbol of triumph and joy, the rising sun, um, like spring rising out of the coldness and the, 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 the deadness of winter. And we know that ultimately it's, it signifies uh, the dawning of a new age, a new covenant. 
But it also, the sunrise also begins to reveal things in the way that they really are. When the sun begins to come up, it begins to reveal things in the way that they really are, not just the way we imagine they might be or dream they might be at night. When the true sunrise comes, one of the things you would expect it to do is to help you see and make sense of your surroundings, right? It would shed light on the reality around you and help you to explain what's around you better than you could in the darkness. And it's a common claim you may have heard uh, coming really from Sigmund Freud and other people uh, that Christianity is, is really just wish fulfillment. It helps us get through the painful reality of life by blindingness to life's you know, harshness and coldness, and it gives us comforting little uh, lies to get us through. And that's quite a common attack. And as I was thinking about this and, and, and the, the sunrise, it reminded me of um, an essay by C.S. Lewis called Is Theology Poetry, which is uh, well worth a read if you can get hold of it. Is Theology Poetry? And he responded to this kind of idea, whether Christian beliefs were just poetry, pretty words which please our emotions but really have very little to do with hard facts and, and, and real life. Is Christianity true, he asked, because it's beautiful to believers? Well, of course not. Why? Because human beings make poetry out of everything. I love this quote. He said, um, uh, man is a, a poetical animal and he touches nothing which he does not adorn. Anything that people believe becomes beautiful to them. You can see beauty in whatever you come to like, whatever you believe in. Um, and so it's part of who we are. Human beings just can't live. We simply can't live without giving meaning to the things around us. And that's part of what our worldviews do. They put us, part of their function is to put us in the middle of some epic story that we can find our purpose and our, our, uh, our meaning and what life is uh, meant to be um, about. And so even, C.S. Lewis points out, even naturalism, atheistic naturalism has its own kind of poetry, which puts man, uh, humanity, right at the center of this incredible epic. C.S. Lewis said if it were written as a poem, it would be the greatest epic poem ever written, because you start off with this utter chaos and darkness, and then out of nowhere, a big bang, and... Um, over millions and millions of years, the stars form, and eventually the planets form, and there's a spark of life. And eventually, after billions of years, man steps onto the stage, uh, you know, inconceivably weak in, uh, against the odds. And yet man dominates nature, and he, he, and he takes control of the world, and then he, uh, you know, he, he uh, becomes Matt Damon and goes to Mars and takes Mars. And, then, um, and so man dominates space. And man becomes the ruler of the universe until that day when the sun cools down and everything eventually comes to an end. And so you have this great epic tragedy. And um, so even naturalism has its own kind of poetry because anything we find beautiful, we find poetic. And so that in itself isn't a measure of whether something's true or not. Instead, Lewis argued, to determine whether what you're seeing is really the sunrise... Don't look at its own beauty only, but look to see if it illuminates the landscape around you. Because the test of light is whether it illuminates, not whether you like what you see. Uh, Simone Weil, uh, the 
French philosopher uh, put it this way, if I light an electric torch at night out of doors, I don't judge its power by looking at the bulb, but by seeing how many objects it lights up. And so for Lewis, even though he found Christianity beautiful, the real test of his beliefs was to what extent they shed light on reality. What explanatory power did they have? Uh, Just as a a scientific uh, hypothesis would have to deal with all the data, do our beliefs deal with the data, our experiences of life? And so Lewis said this, um, the problem with naturalism is that it pulls its rug, the, the rug out from under its own feet. Um, because it says our minds are just the result of, uh, of uh, mindless forces and processes. So he said, if that's true, what reason do I have to trust anything that my mind tells me? Because my mind would just be another result of mindless processes. And therefore, I would have no no way to do science, no way to know anything, actually. And so he said, far before he became a Christian, he realized that that simply was self-contradictory. It didn't work. Um, instead, he said, when he, uh, he, part of his conversion story was, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. The Christian worldview wasn't true just because it was pretty, but because it had power to explain the real world. Things such as our reason, such as our sense of beauty, such as our sense of purpose and meaning and morality, all of these things that naturalism cannot account for were brought into the light. And so it had a power to explain the world in a way that no other worldview can. But actually, the passage goes further than this. I I could talk a lot more about that because it's fascinating me. Um, But the passage goes further than this because it's not just a uh, a light or a mental enlightenment uh, that comes, but it says the sunrise will visit us. And that word visit means to personally inspect or to, or to, to pay attention to. And so it's not just a force or a mental enlightenment, but it's a person who is coming, who will shine light on all of reality. That's an incredible statement that Luke is making. And when you look at the words he's using, he's talking about the son of righteousness that Malachi 4 mentioned. The son of righteousness, the Messiah who's coming in fulfillment of those centuries of prophecy. And it's not only a person, but it's a person from on high. And so what this is talking about is God, almighty God in the flesh, coming to pay personal care and attention to us. So, I need to move quickly here on to our last section, which is the effects of the sunrise. And um, the first thing that it mentions is that the light is to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Uh, Trevor's version said, those who live in darkness, uh, which is the meaning of that word, but uh, the literal word that is used is to sit, um, which is interesting because Luke is, is... Uh, He's changing the words of Isaiah that he's quoting there a little bit because Isaiah said, those who walk in darkness 
Luke says those who sit in darkness. And I think it's intentional because he's trying to emphasize the fact that humanity is absolutely and utterly in despair. (laughs) Absolutely and utterly in the darkness. So much so that we're not even trying to walk towards the new day, but we're sitting down in despondency. We've given up hope. Um, And walking in darkness is that difficult situation where no solution is possible, no solution is visible, and where death is at your door. So it's to bring light, not to those uh, uh, who've got it all sorted out and already have uh, all the answers, but it's to bring light to those who are absolutely hopeless and in utter darkness. But it's also to bring guidance, it says, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And it's not, to, not immediately to bring peace, to, to put us on the path that leads towards peace. To teach us, in other words, the way of life that brings peace. Or to teach behavior that is peaceful, to put us in the right path of peace. To put us on the path towards our ultimate purpose, God's perfect shalom. And so when you put um, what we've seen together, I, I um, would paraphrase these two verses like this. And this is, this is um, I hope, faithful to um, uh, uh, the original intention. Paraphrase would, would, might be this. Because of God's gut-felt heart of mercy, he will make a personal, caring visit to the world as the dawning sun which puts the light on for those paralyzed and living in utter despair in the fearful shadow of death, showing them the way that leads to the perfect, peaceful, harmonious relationship of all things in the way that they were meant to be. And so I want to bring this home to us here and bring it back to where we started. When we look around us at the world, like like my song said, it's shaded. It's broken and disintegrated. The pieces that should be together are not together, uh, spiritually, personally, socially. And so what humanity is searching for, because everyone's aware of that, we're aware that the world is not the way that it should be. And so humanity is looking for a way to bring that wholeness, that shalom. But we can't do it. That's the problem. Because any peace, the reason is, part of the reason is, any peace that a human being can attain, anything that we could attain in terms of peace, is always at the mercy of whatever next enemy might come along. So if you have peace with God that's based on your achievement and based on you having earned it, then that peace with God is at the mercy of your next mistake. Right? When you fail, all of a sudden that peace evaporates. Personally, uh, if your sense of identity is built, uh, your, your, your sense of personal peace is built on your achievements and your uh, whatever you might look to for your identity, that's always at the mercy of your next failure. Uh, or eventually it's at the mercy of time. Uh, socially, any peace that we can possibly get through war or through politics is eventually at the mercy of a next bigger enemy. Um, 
And the earth itself we can't find peaceful because the whole universe is slowly decaying. And so we cannot get that peace for ourselves. And I put up there um, why we can't do it, but how Jesus did it. Um, Peace, real peace, is more than just a feeling of peace. Real peace is is a state of affairs. It's a real condition that should be true regardless of how you feel about it. Um, And so that real condition of harmony and friendship with God was established through Jesus and given to us by him. And only Jesus could attain that because he is eternal God. And so nothing finite could ever achieve an eternal peace. Only an eternal person could achieve an eternal peace, something that cannot be threatened by any bigger enemy because there is no one greater than God. And so Jesus brings not just a feeling of peace that's temporary, but a true and eternal condition that's true regardless of how we feel. And so spiritually what that means is he's achieved a perfect, everlasting righteousness that he gives to us as a gift, and it's never at risk. No matter how often or how much you fail, it's it's a condition that has been uh, set in stone. Peace with God is given to you. uh, Personally, he gives us a source of identity because we no longer have to prove who we are and our value through our actions and our attainment, but through God saying, through what Jesus did, you're now my son. You're my daughter. You're my child. And nothing can change that. Socially, it gives us the power, a new heart motivation as the Holy Spirit dwells in us and creates this bond that actually gives us the power to love others as we love ourselves, as God commands us to do. It's only through the Spirit that we can actually have the power to do that. And environmentally, it gives us the power to be the good stewards that God intended us to be of his earth to achieve his purposes and, and participate in his mission of redeeming all of creation. And so what this means for us is that we are called to be ambassadors of this peace. A lot of times people have looked around at the world and the brokenness that's around us, and it can very easily lead to pessimism. And, well, I guess all we can do is sit back and wait for Jesus to come back. Because The weight of that darkness is so heavy. But actually what this is telling us is the light is coming. It's unstoppable. And you are an ambassador of that light. Showing that Christ can put everything in the proper relationship. And it says in Ephesians 6 that we've got uh, the the gospel of peace uh, as our shoes. And we're ambassadors um, for that gospel. And so... What I love about this is that Jesus isn't only a little candle. Jesus didn't come as a little candle that you can hold and just keep safe from the wind and it lights up your immediate area so you can carry on doing your own little thing. Neither does he come as a big lightning bolt of judgment to wipe out the sinners. Instead, he comes as this gentle sunrise that even though it's gentle, it's absolutely unstoppable. It's invincible. And so, we may still be living in the twilight 
still be living in the shadows, but we have the guarantee of the noonday sun. That peace that nothing can steal. And that's the peace that you and I are meant to proclaim to this broken earth. It's a proclamation of the path that leads to this earth's truest and eternal good. And so, it's only in Christ that we have the power to live selflessly like that. Because we no longer have to do our deeds to earn our place before God. It's already won, and it can't be changed. We no longer have to do things to try and prove our self-worth because God looks at us in Christ and says, we're his children. We no longer have to use other people to our advantage or treat them as less than they deserve because we've been given everything in Christ. All the riches in the heavenly places, it says. And that he treated us with utter mercy. Not giving us what we deserve, but far more than we could ever deserve. And so this, this is for you. And I love that Malachi 4.2, talking about this same image, for you who fear my name, it says, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And so my encouragement to you is to turn your eyes to the sun. That is where the healing with your heavenly father is. That is where the healing for your own heart is. That's where the healing for your relationships, your families, your friends, the people you work with in our society is. And that's where the peace, the shalom for this earth lies. And so even though we live in the twilight, we're looking towards that invincible dawn to the bright noonday sun. Let us be ambassadors of peace among the shadows. Let's pray together. Father God, as we are in this season of of Advent and expectation for Christmas, we are so grateful for your mercy. Lord, that you treat us not as we deserve, but you've sent us the sunrise. that is the guarantee of all the brokenness of our world being put right. And so, Lord, we pray that this truth would transform us from the inside out and that we would become ambassadors. We would see the beauty of that peace that only you can bring and that we would be ambassadors of that peace to this earth around us. We pray in Jesus' name.